Welcome to the last lap podcast. Welcome to the last lap podcast. Welcome everybody to the Last Lap Podcast. I'm your host Andrew Pearson and alongside me as always is my broadcast colleague Sean Gray. Hello. The Last Lap Podcast. If you if you ask if us if we're retiring then the answer is we Abu Dhabi don't. <laughs> How long did it take you to come up with that one? Quite a long time. <laughs> everybody had already run, done the Abu Dhabi do ones and so I just you know with the news I thought we could chuck that one in there. News. There's been news. <laughs> mm, maybe. Possibly just a little bit. However, we shall, um, like a child with an advent calendar, we shall have to wait to open up the door of the news uh, until after we have gone through um, the race. The title decider. The jewel I, in the desert. And my I God, I wasn't them. sick of hearing that trotted oh, out every five minutes. That's that's Guy's fault. You know what they're like. They're <laughs> This weekend, you know, whatever football matches on, you'll you'll see something four hundred and sixty five times before you actually watch the game. You'll see the advert. It's just uh, it becomes a bit um, stomach nauseating after a while. But um... It's the final race of the 2016 season and what a great circuit to finish up on. The Istanbul Park circuit for the Turkish Grand Prix. This 3.3... Uh, Scott, it's not the Turkish Grand Prix. What? It's not the Turkish Grand Prix. But this is the last race of the season. We haven't been to that great circuit yet. Where is it then? It's the final race. It must be a suitably exciting race to finish up the season with. A track that produces wheel-to-wheel racing and high drama, leaving us desperate for the 2017 season to start next year. It's Abu Dhabi. Abu Dhabi? Yes. Right. So the season climaxes at the track where the only notable event in its history was the fact that Fernando Alonso in a Ferrari, desperately fighting for a championship in 2010, couldn't get past Vitaly Petrov in a Renault, such is the nature of the track layout. Yep. <sighs> it goes from day to night. And that helps the racing, does it? Uh, there's a building that has changing colours on it. Great. Okay, so it may be Abu Dhabi, but the fact that we are down to the wire may be a saving grace. It might enliven what is usually one of the worst races of the season. Of our two championship contenders, Hamilton traditionally goes better here, and he obviously needs to if he's going to pull off the turnaround of the season and beat Rosberg to the title. Let's find out who our 2016 Formula One world champion is with Andrew and Sean. What was I going to say? Something about... Uh, oh, yeah, that's what you said. We're going to talk about the race first. Well, I, I hope you're putting race in inverted commas in that um, in that sentence because I, I don't know about race. That was uh, one of the strangest races I've ever seen, put it that way. Uh, who could go the slowest yes, <laughs> up you, front? <laughs> it's not often uh, that you get to see that. It's been a long time since we've seen people going slow on a racetrack and uh, since the, the days of re- refueling, wasn't it? And... Um, Everybody burning up fuel on the uh, in the qualifying section. Oh yeah, I forgot they used to do that. Oh, oh man, that takes me back. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yes, it was uh, Abu Dhabi last weekend. Um, as we said, the title decider. Uh, would it go to Nico? Would it go to Lewis? Um, could uh, could Lewis do anything about making sure Nico 
finished less than third whilst also winning the race. Um, and, well, there's no point in beating him out of the bush. He didn't do it. Um, it was going to be a nearly impossible task because he had to win the race whilst backing up his teammate. I think it'd have been fine if he'd have, if he'd only needed to uh, win and Nico be third or less, then I think he might have done it because I think he could have, he could have been more aggressive. But he needed Nico to drop two places, and it just wasn't possible to back up the traffic enough to make that happen. Um, by the time Max was threatening, he'd already used up all of the the goodness from his tyres compared to Nico. Uh, and then, as we saw, Vettel only really caught up to him in, in the last sort of two laps. Um, and by that point, Lewis was going so slow, he actually managed to give Nico DRS. And that pretty much put, put pay to it, really. Because there was no way that the Ferrari was going to draft past uh, the Mercedes with DRS, uh, even on b- better, faster tyres. Absolutely. I am... Um... I'm obviously delighted, you know. I know anybody who who knows uh, knows me knows that I've been wanting Nico Rosberg to become a world champion for several years, but like uh it was a bit anticlimactic in a way, but you know, because even like you say, even once Lewis managed to go slow enough to back Nico up, then he had the DRS. Then you had Seb being the cork in the bottle. Was Seb really going to challenge Nico? That's the, you know, the I've heard so many conspiracy theories this week. Would, would Seb really throw one down into an eco? You know, they're good friends, you know, two Germans, all that kind of thing. Then you've got Max, who drove a stonking race to get it to where he did, but ultimately had had obviously lost the tyres, having had to pit earlier than everybody in front of him towards the end. So at the time, it was very, very tense. As a massive Nico Rosberg fan, I was very, very nervous watching from behind my sofa. But looking back on hindsight, I'm kind of like, oh, I don't actually think he was ever in that much trouble. I think he had it covered off. Was- but if I could go back and tell myself that at the time, <laughs> with hindsight, I would. Because at the time, I was, you know, chewed fingernails. But looking back on it, I think he had more than enough in the tank to, to really... Even if he wanted to let Seb go and say, you know what, Seb, on you go. I don't think... Um, I don't think Max was had any had the pace really to. The Red Bull doesn't really have the pace to challenge the Mercedes at the best of times. So why would it have the pace on this one occasion when it's got older tires? It was, you know, we all got caught up in the in that and you know in the in the madness of it all. But ultimately, if you use your sensible brain, you go that that's, the Mercedes should have had enough to cover the Red Bull pretty simply. And, and Nico, I don't think was in ever too much danger. No, I, I think. The, the story of the whole Grand Prix, really, and, and the, the title being decided was his move on Verstappen when he... Um, Absolutely, yeah. That was the behind key, him. 100%. That was the, that was the key moment. That was 100% the key moment. And you heard it uh, on the radio. His engineer said, you know, it's, it's critical now. Yeah, this now, is, now that everybody's backed yeah. up, okay, you so have to it, get past him. They didn't see Max being there. That was a complete, you know, Max spins at the start. He's way out of position, and all of a sudden, he goes a bit, um, a bit quirky on strategy, and suddenly, Max for Nico has a Max Verstappen problem that he, no strategy engineer at the start of the race could have foreseen that. Really. Well, nobody, nobody was one stopping, were they? No, Everybody exactly. Was just like it's double softs, you know, like all yeah, the way. like they couldn't have seen that happen. You couldn't have predicted at that point that he would have to pass Max on the track, 
So for Nico to for his engineer to say, you know, this needs to happen, and for him to go do it, go down and just get it done, you know, I, I was sitting here watching the race and I said that that is a championship winning move. That's what that is, um, and and it proved to be the case because it definitely was, you know, the absolute had to happen moment. Um, because the, the the Mercedes obviously had the pace, I think, then to go ahead and fill out the relevant gap that it needed. But if he'd lost track position to Max, and they'd ended up having to, you know, be on similar strategies towards in the race with Max in front of him, and then Seb coming back through the field, or whatever, then it becomes a whole different ball game. So so massive credit to Nico for getting that done, getting the you know getting the move done, and then also massive credit to him for not losing his head, you know. In the face of of you know um, those coming at him from behind and then Lewis backing him up from in front, he kept it calm. He he didn't do anything rash. People kept saying, "Oh, why doesn't he just challenge Lewis if Lewis is going slow up front?" He doesn't have to challenge Lewis. Second place is more than enough. Third place is more than enough. Why would he take the risk of lunging one up the inside and damaging his car? That's just they don't, you know, there's no need for that. He's, well, he's, there isn't. And at the end of the day, if you if you remember what the the radio messages were. Um, it was that Lewis was fast in all of the sections where there were passing opportunities. So along the two big straights, um, you know. Yeah, of course. He, he, it... he was putting the hammer down. And then you get into the stupid, horrific back section of Abu Dhabi, the bit that we all hate and loathe and the reason why it's such a terrible track. Um, and he could practically go as slow as he wanted because you can't pass. And certainly Nico couldn't throw one up the inside. Um and the other net result was that by going slowly, he was keeping his tyres in. So he could afford to, you know, rev it hard along the bits that he needed to because he would just be saving it through the bits that he didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. You know, that's, and... no, that's no fault of Nico to say, oh, well, you know, why didn't he overtake him? It's just like, well, he couldn't in the places where um, Agreed. I agree it with could that. have happened. And, you know, fair, fair play to Lewis for... Um, yeah, at that's having point, the nous to be able to do that because I don't think that I think a lot of people think it's a lot easier to say, oh well, he just drove slowly, <laughs> and I think it's it's not, is it? It's not easy to go slow enough to keep to you know and and to keep your mind on top of that, knowing that you have you know that that you're almost trying to keep in touch of cars that are two, you know two or three cars behind the person who's in your your rear view mirrors. Um, whilst not letting your car get too cool or cold in the wrong sections to leave yourself vulnerable in the bits where you need to go fast. It's a massively fine balancing act. Absolutely, and this is the point where I'd like to say, you know, I didn't have a problem whatsoever with Lewis Hamilton's tactics. No, me either. Um, Because at the end of the day, he's a a race driver trying to win a world championship, and anybody else would have done that. If that was um, Fernando Alonso driving a Ferrari versus, uh, I don't know, Lewis Hamilton and a McLaren or whatever from a, you know there'd be no not much said about it. The only reason it was it became a, an issue is because it was you know two drivers from the same team. So I, I had no problem whatsoever with Lewis's tactics. Obviously I was supporting Nico and I was you know on the edge of my seat hoping that Nico managed to to hang on but you know as a as a, as a Formula 1 fan I was saying that's absolutely I don't have an issue with Lewis's tactics there. His attitude uh, and just his general way of carrying himself and his, the way he talks on the radio and the way he speaks to press is a whole different argument. Uh, and I don't particularly like the guy in that point of view. But his actual tactics on the racetrack didn't have a problem with it. And if any other driver did the same thing, I wouldn't have had a problem with it because at the end of the day, the driver's going for the world championship. Don't have a problem with that whatsoever. 
all the other stuff, that's a slightly different matter. And that's where I think he gets gets more of a hard time. And a lot of people sort of on, on social media seem to be misinterpreting uh, people's dis- dislike for the way Lewis handled the situation off the track for dislike of his tactics on the track. And I think that was getting those wires were getting a little bit crossed on the old uh, on the old Twitter feeds between the the team Lewis Hamilton and the you know everybody else who's not team Lewis Hamilton. I mean, I guess then that leads us to the to the discussion point of um, if Lewis's tactics were okay, um, was it okay for Mercedes to ask him to speed up? And then they did. The t- it's their team. They can ask the driver to do whatever they want. And that was, <laughs> so... that's exactly the point, isn't it? If Lewis doesn't, you know, if they're not, so long as Lewis doesn't end up getting punished, which by the look would. of things, it's not going to happen. Um, okay, and it, it, might, and it, it probably might... wasn't going to happen anyway. He might get an internal little slap on the wrist or something, but he certainly isn't going to be suspended or banned from a race or anything stupid. <laughs> no, like that. I mean you, you just got to look at it and say, given the circumstances. You know what you'd say is, given the circumstances, we can understand why you disobeyed this order. Please don't think that that means in future you can ignore the next time Paddy is forced to come on the radio and tell you to do something. Don't think that the next time you do that, you'll you'll get this same treatment. You know this is your, you know this is your free pass for, um, you know not playing the team game. Being a berk. <laughs> uh, do not you know do not make us do this again or have this conversation again. Um, and that, and that's fine. And you know, Mercedes have to can only look at the timing screens and look at it and go. But if this continues in this manner, then we've got a problem. You know, yeah, they, they've got to look for the whole entire quick. thing. That was extremely quick on their contrary strategy. That it did so. Of course, they're gonna they're gonna look at the bigger picture. It's a case of they were both right almost. I don't have an issue with them asking him to speed up, and I don't particularly have an issue with his tactics either. Um, have you, have, you, have you looked at that? Have I looked at the race as a whole and just watched from lights out to the checkered flag and completely blanked out and blocked out all of the pre-race nonsense and then all of the 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 after-race shenanigans and then even the radio, blocked out the radio message as well. I wouldn't have any issue whatsoever with anything that happened. I think Lewis would have been fair. I think everybody would have yeah. been fair and Nico would have been a deserving champion. The only The only reason there was any sort of distaste towards Lewis, from what I could read, just certainly from my own perspective, reading social media and stuff, was much more of a, a personality thing and the way he was coming across and his attitude and his tone of voice, both on the radio and afterwards on the podium and things. That, to me, is when people started criticising him, not his actual tactics on the racetrack. That, and that's the, that's the key you know, difference there. Like, think about when he came on the radio, Paddy says... Um, Lewis, this is Paddy here, you know, this is an instruction. We need you to go quicker. And he just said something like, Oh, I'm 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 doing fine. I think I'm fine, you know. It was that sort of attitude that was that was, you know, got people's backs up rather than the actual tactics itself. I don't you know, that we need to make that clear. Yeah. You know, I, I it's I think a lot of it was um you know, if you if you watched the cool down room uh and then kind of compared it to um, what's gone on before? Yeah, and you go back to thinking about um, Nico legging it up to the the cool down room when when Lewis won the first title for Mercedes, and uh, I think that's where it all started to go 
sort of pear shaped because I, I think I think people were expecting that after all the acrimony, Lewis would be publicly just a, a bit more, you know, look, you know, been a hard season and, you know, you know, as much as I feel that the reliability has cost me, Nico's dri- driven um, a superb campaign and you, you know, you deserve to win a world title. Um, if you, you know, but if you're top of the table when, at the end of the season, you've deserved to win a world title. And I can only congratulate him for doing that and hope that, you know, next year we have um, an even better battle. Something like that. Um, yep. And he just sort of stood in the corner and deliberately didn't say anything to anybody. You know, he didn't he didn't go over to Nico at all uh, in the cordon room. He did go to him in the sort of park firm a bit afterwards. After he went up and sort of shook his hand and gave him a quick hug and then disappeared off again. Um, and it just seems that everything after that has just had this tinge of saltiness to it. It's all um, well done, Nico. You've done really good. Um, I've done better than you. But you've still done really good. Do you know what I mean? If you listen, yep. listen to what what did he say in the um, about um, you know like uh, about the the news that's come out today? His thing was um, you know um, this is the first time in eighteen years that Nico's won, so I can completely understand you know why he's done what he's done. And you just think, really? You I can't. Mean, you can't just be a generous person for you know it's done now what what does it cost you to say um the best man won even if you don't believe it at least to just be gracious enough to say you know it's done we have actually been friends for 18 years let's just you know let's try and build some kind of bridge but he was just just happy to just to leave, you know, all these little digs into everything he said, and everything was about how he's still better than Nico, um, and that I think just it continues to degrade um, Lewis in the section of Formula One fans that aren't Lewis Hamilton fans. Of course, yeah, absolutely. And long term, that isn't going to do him any favors. Because it's not going to attract people to him who are new to the sport. Because all they're going to see is a bad loser, um, and the you know Lewis Hamilton fans are always going to defend him. They're always going to say, "Oh well, if it wasn't for this and if it wasn't for this, and Nico's a lucky champion, all those bits and pieces." Because that's what you do as a fan, don't you? You make excuses and you apologise for your team, your driver, your whatever it is that you know that you like doing and watching. Um, uh, and that's you know you have to kind of just if you're not a fan of that driver you kind of just have to go well of course it is there's no point in reacting to it there's no point in trying to argue with people because they've already created their own narrative as to why their driver didn't win and why the driver who did win either shouldn't have won or wasn't good enough to win all of those bits and pieces but it, it seems like the driver himself should not be part of that that narrative they shouldn't yep. be sat there trying to um pour you know pour petrol onto that fire by continually dropping little things about how they still think that they're that much better than the other guy it just you know it was just so unnecessary and it felt really petty and really salty and like uh, you know everybody else in the you know 
in the pantheon of, of Formula One has has tended to have that ability that once it's all done and dusted, it's not carried on. It's not a um, it's not a series of of NASA. So you think about um, you know Senna and Prost, you know loathed having to drive with one another and against one another, but once it was all done, they were fine. Do you know what I mean? You didn't hear Senna slagging off Prost every five minutes once he'd retired or, you know, uh, after the bitterness had sort of subsided from the actual racing, you know, outside of that, it wasn't the same, you know, it wasn't the same. And all the people who raced against Schumacher and, you know, Schumacher did some really questionable things. (laughs) But, you know, you don't see, you don't see Damon and Jacques Villeneuve only exclusively talking about how, you know, how much better they think they they would have been if it wasn't for this or you know um you know um I'm trying to think the thing about hunt and louder do you know what i mean this sub, you know this amazing rivalry that they had but it was quite clear that off track they got on really quite well you know there's plenty of photos of them you know going out and being at parties and enjoying the time and you know you look at the end of the um the film oh, what was the film called rush rush yeah, at the end of rush and you, you hear that sort of what was it the that louder says this is when i heard that james had died i wasn't surprised i was just sad and you just kind of think you know that that respect level just seems to have completely gone and we're now just down to people who are just happy to badmouth each other in public and it just yeah that that all leaves a bad taste in my mouth and it would leave a bad taste in my mouth, whoever was doing it. But the fact that it's Lewis, who's done it seemingly for quite a while now, at least in you know for for my money, just makes it that little bit worse. And the fact that it then carries on into the fans, just again, it all ramps up to making it a slightly bitter and unpleasant end to what you could have almost laughingly looked back and gone as quite a battle this season. You know, the racing wasn't great, but if you looked at the you know the way that the the championship went back and forth and the way that the, the drivers won sets of matches and then it went back the other way and then back the other way. You, you know, you, you could have written quite an interesting narrative about the rivalry. Yeah, um, absolutely. But it, it requires both parties to kind of sit there and be magnanimous at the end of it. And I think Nico has been, and I think Lewis has managed to look like he's being magnanimous while still taking pot shots at, at, at Nico at every chance he can. Even look at the podium, you know. He congratulated Nico as an afterthought on the podium, uh, whereas when I think it was DC did the did the interviews, he when he goes to Sebastian, he asks Sebastian a, a fairly long-winded question, and Seb just goes, puts his hand up and goes, well, first of all, David, congratulations to Nico, and went over and, you know, and hugged Nico. And then came back and answered David Coulthard's questions, whereas Lewis had a had a, a couple minutes, uh, you know, saying his piece, and then went, "Oh, and congratulations to Nico, by the way." Like it was it was an afterthought, and it's just little things like that. Like as you say, if I was a brand new fan coming into the sport for the first time, and that was the first Grand Prix I'd ever watched, I'd say, "Well, who's this guy? He's a bit of a, you know." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's just that, but that's just me, you know. He's got his fans. Where I'm not his fan. Are you his fan? I don't know. <laughs> but um, 
you know, he, he'll always have his fans, like you say. Uh, he'll always have his fans, and he'll always have people that aren't his fans. And, you know, I guess in a way, the sport kind of needs that, you know, that, that you know, like you know, split dynamics. It gives, it, gives, it gives us talking points. You know, if everybody liked the same thing, it'd be a bit boring and kind of all that sort of thing. So, yeah. But, you know, I, all I'll say is, you know, I'm glad he didn't win. And uh, I'll I'm, I'm pick- certainly glad that we got a different winner. If Mercedes were going to win... Yeah, the, exactly. The, the constructors' championship for the third time in a row. I'm, I'm at least glad we didn't get the same champion for three years. You know? Absolutely, I, I, agree. I think that's good for Formula One in general, regardless of whether yeah. you're a fan of either of the drivers. You think you've just got to look and say, every time that there's a new name chalked up on the trophy, that's a little bit better and a little bit more interesting for the sport. I agree. I agree. Um, so, I guess the next two drivers finishing were probably drivers of the day candidates um both, both of them <laughs> you know hard to split them really <laughs> um sebastian vettel finishes third um after sort of well it was, i don't really know what happened to his race he it was it was funny because about sort of a quarter of the way through he was behind kimi in sixth so he's behind both the red bulls and and his teammate and obviously the mercedes and i remember kind of thinking oh you know, Seb's just kicking about in sixth place here. You know, he's doesn't really look that interested. Last race of the season, boring racetrack. He's probably already on his holidays. He'll just bring it home in sixth and and naff off for the winter. And then all of a sudden, he's right in the heart of the most intense title title challenge, uh, title battle. So it was very, very um. Yeah, he. It was interesting because if you if you look at the the stops and pit stops and stuff. You can see that most of the people did the um, quick tyre uh, and then two stints on the soft. And they all did pretty much the same amount of time on them, give or take two laps generally either way. So everybody stopped within lap 20 generally, either a little bit before or a little bit after. Whereas Vettel went to lap 30 on his first set of softs and then only had to do 18 on the super softs. Which well, that- that's right, yeah. Which was really interesting because the whole of qualifying, um, all it seemed that Martin Brundle and David Croft were saying to me was, nobody thinks the super soft tyre is any good. It's going to be ultra softs and softs. They're all going to start on the ultra softs and then two laps on the softs. Yeah. I, I, I don't know a lot about tyre engineering, but that's really, I find that strange because you've got a soft compound, a slightly less soft compound, and then a slightly less soft compound, if you get what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. We've got We've got three degrees of softness there. So how can the middle one not be any good? If the if the softest one's okay and the hardest one's okay, how can the middle one not be any good? As someone who doesn't know a damn thing about tire engineering, that just seems strange to me. Like if if it, if it's okay to be really soft and it's okay to be a bit harder, surely in the middle is fine too. But I I don't know. Someone I will bow down to someone who has greater uh, knowledge of how tire engineering works because I certainly don't. But I just find that really odd that you know the middle one would be the one that wouldn't work. If you said to me, oh the ultra one, it's too soft, can't get it to work, I'd say fine. If you said the hard one, it's too firm, can't get it to get up, <laughs> I'd say fine. But how does the middle one... I don't understand that. That confuses me. (laughs) Essentially, it's if if you look at the two things that you want from a tyre, you either want one of two things. Either that they heat up nice and easily so that they get to a working temperature where they they give what they need nice and quickly so you can get on it and and, you know get the pace from your car. Or you want them to be durable 
um, and not fall to pieces while still giving you decent lap time. Mm-hmm. What you don't want is, the, is the thing that's in the mirror in the middle, which takes time to get up to working temperature, but also doesn't last very long. So they were saying basically the super soft doesn't have that much more life in it than the ultra soft, um, but it doesn't give you that much. Dra- you know, it's not um, the the time difference as well isn't big enough between them and the softs to make it really a viable. You might as well say, I want the fastest tire and I want the most reliable tire. So why would I want the one that's not quite either? Well, so that, that's makes, basically, yeah, that makes perfect sense. That's yeah, basically that what it came down sense. to. But as it turned out, by the time the race came around and the track conditions are, the, um, the super softs stayed together better than the teams were expecting and at the same time gave up much better lap time than they were expecting so everybody who kind of went you know what i'm gonna stick a pair of super softs on last now all got this amazing benefit you can <laughs> kind of see it that all of the all of the people who did it all jumped up from from fairly dismal placing in that vettel went up to third and then you've got alonso who had gone right down after the start got himself back up um to 10th i think yeah, and and Roman's and Roman did well. exactly yeah. the same thing, and Esteban Ocon did again. Managed to you know get himself um, right up and um, ahead of um, uh, Verline because he had what ended up being that the best time, the best tire to be on for the end of that particular Grand Prix. Um, it's, it's it's amazing how so often teams find this out sort of halfway through a race. They go, oh. That's pretty good, you know, for, for these teams that have so much uh, data and engineers and things like that. It does seem to happen quite often where sort of halfway through the race, they end up on something. They end up stumbling upon something that's actually, like, the best way to go. Like, look at Max doing the one stop and somehow finishing half a minute down the road from Daniel Ricciardo. Yeah. The complete, the, you know, the strategy that nobody thought was feasible uh, suddenly ended up making him... Because he was only five seconds down the road from Danny Rick. I thought he was further than that. But, you know, point remains. He managed He managed to beat Danny Ricardo, having been down at the back of the, of the field, having spun at the first corner. So, it just, it like, you know, they spend all these time and all these resources coming up with strategies and, and various combinations of doing things throughout a race. And sometimes... Just sheer dumb luck turns it to be the best way to go. Uh, well, do you remember at the start of the season we we had that big patch where suddenly the medium tire, which everybody thought was going to be too slow, turned out to be the most amazing race tire for about four or five races in a row. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For no no idea why. <laughs> like, just... and, and as far as I'm aware, Pirelli weren't you know changing the compound during the middle of the the season. So it's just one of those things that I think people thought they got grip got to grips with the tires. Um, but the start of the season, I think, seemed to have a lot more races where the medium was brought. And we got a lot more um, ultra soft, super soft, soft races near the end of the calendar. And I, w- I just wonder if um, it, it came down to the fact that um, in the other races, the super soft was used as a quick tyre rather than the ultra soft. So that's what everybody had in their mind. So everybody just went, ah, well, it's, you know, it's not a race tyre. It doesn't last long enough. It's a good quality. You know, it's a decent enough qualifying tyre, except when you've got the ultra soft available. Uh, uh, and so by the time it got down to the last few races where people were thinking actually god we might actually want to use this tyre now um, for you know for, for long periods um, it kind of caught them as a surprise about exactly what it was in because they, they barely brought any super soft 
tires with them this race. You know, like most of the teams had like seven ultra softs or something ridiculous. Um, so I, I think it was just lack of running, lack of really preparing what was going on. Um, and yeah, the, really, it was kind of Max doing 21 laps on them at the start started to clue people into yeah, that it was the that, way well forward. That, that was the triggering point, wasn't it? He, they took, the Red Bulls took a punt on the, in qualifying. I thought, we'll, we'll throw a set of super softs on and we'll start on them and see what happens. You know, we might as well. It's the last race of the season. We might as well have a gamble. And Max spins at the start, stays out late uh, on his first stint. And all of a sudden, people are looking over their shoulder going, hang on a minute, he's managing to get these to do 20 laps. How, how on earth has he done that? And by that, and it, it sort of took like Crofty and Brundle sort of five or six laps in the commentary box to kind of realize what was going on. I was getting in, I was sitting in the chair and I could see it unfold. And I was like, Max is one stopping here. Max is one stopping here, isn't he? He's dragging this out. He's going to bolt on the soft tires, the yellow tires, and just go to the end and see where he ends up. And he might end up on the podium. And uh, it took them, it seemed to take them a little bit longer to sort of feel it. To figure that out, and I think and, the pro- I think the problem was that they got slightly undone by the fact that Ricardo stopped on lap nine. He only yep. did one lap longer than all the Ultrasoft guys, and so I think yeah. they, they just went, "Oh, well, if that's, all, if that's all Red Bull yeah, think yeah. they can do, then he's going to get to maybe, maybe if he hangs it out, maybe like twelve or something like that." Yeah, but it wasn't going to take him going. any further because that's the nature of a track like Abu Dhabi. You know, you can you can ring tires out there because it's difficult to pass and stuff. You can. You know, you can if you can get track position, you can ring the set a set of tires out around a track like that. You know, track position is king, and Max managed to get track position for a long time, and he he rung the set out for for twenty one laps. And uh, like I said, the, the the guys on Sky sort of slowly started to realise that. And I think Nico's engineers were like that as well. They were like, "Oh God, actually, he's one stopping here, Nico. You need to pass him. He's one stopping. You have to pass him." And that's when Nico got the job done. And I just it, it, it felt to me obvious from sort of lap thirteen that that's what he was doing, but it seemed to take everybody longer to really figure out that that's what was happening. And then by the time it gets to lap twenty one, it's clear. Okay, Max is going to the end. You know, he's in. For, he's in for the softs. He's not coming in again, is he? No. And then Danny Ricardo, who did super soft, 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 just didn't seem to work at all for him, did it? And he he he, he was out. He was then ultimately done by Sebastian Vettel, who did his own variant strategy that nobody else did and he was undone by his teammate who lost 25 seconds to him on the first lap so I can't imagine Danny Rick would have been too pleased towards the end of the towards the end of the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix having seen Max facing the other way in the first corner and then to come up behind his rear wing later on I don't imagine that would have been a too um a too happy Australian in that helmet that's for sure no uh, you'd have to understand why he felt the need to Come in on lap nine, really, um, on his super softs. Because... It, pro- it proved that the taking the super soft in quali was the completely wrong choice if he could only do nine laps on them. Yeah. Because why not just take the ultra soft, which did eight laps, and it makes no difference, you know? And then you'd have a quicker qualifying tire. Yeah. And a, it was, it and was almost tire. like whether or not he was having a good time on those tires, he should have just stuck it out for um, yep. at least another, you know, three or four laps, it, it, you know. Uh, up to maybe lap 15 he should have been able to have done that and then he'd have given himself some sort of um, you know run later on possibly he could have taken this he could have either done the one stop or maybe done uh, a long stint on the softs uh, and bolted on a second set of used ultra softs for some really really super quick laps you mm-hmm. know at yeah, the end that, if, that if he could... felt he couldn't do it 
I mean, that was all, that was all, that's almost the Vettel, although Vettel put the super softs on, but that's kind of like what Vettel did. He, Vettel stopped on lap eight as early as anybody, but he had the big long middle stint, which meant he was quick at the end, you know. And and he wasn't he wasn't long enough to the end that he could put the ultras on, but by that point he'd seen the super softs are oh they're actually going okay. Let's let's go for a set of them, go to the end, and and look how quick he was at the end, you know. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Absolutely. That was good. Uh, I take you know. For, I, I, you know I'm a strategy guy I love I love the varying strategies there was lots to like about this uh, Grand Prix it was just hard to get your teeth stuck into it when you were so focused on what was going on between Lewis and Nico and was Lewis backing him up and was Nico going to hang on and things like that consumed all my energy that it was, and then it was only in hindsight as I would say oh there was actually some really interesting strategy stuff going on there between Seb and Max and Danny Ricardo, and then you got Raikkonen who kind of did the Danny Ricardo or they stayed on the ultras of just not being able to get into the race. The, the two guys, you know, the, the Ferraris and the Red Bulls are never going to compete with the two Mercedes on pure pace, but, you know... Kimi got undone by the fact that he did the short, kind of pretty much the shortest middle stint other than well, that's um, it, Ricardo, yeah. and then Slow they were the both end. on softs for 30 laps, which was just, just too long for them to be able to do anything with the car by the time it came yep. to the point where they were... That you know they were probably well, fighting had, one another, really. You had um, Seb, you had Seb rearing at them through the field with this with the quick tires on, and it just they were just they just got undone. But it turns out this Sebastian's strategy was a superior strategy in the end. It's uh, funny given that um, Red Bull have been the masters of doing the complete contra strategy, um, and Ferrari it seems this time it, it, it was quite funny that um, Brundle in the middle of things said, "Oh, it looks like um, Red Bull have got the drop on Ferrari yet again." <laughs> Yeah. Like only for it, like sort of twenty-five laps later, to have completely reversed around, and he sort of went, "I'm gonna have to say sorry here, aren't I?" Because <laughs> actually, Ferrari have had the master stroke this time. I didn't see that one coming. I mean, there was a point where Sebastian didn't pit right away. They all pitted on their second stint. You know, twenty-one, twenty-one. I think the two Mercedes pitted, yeah. and Seb stays out. And it was like, okay, so is he going to come in next lap? And he didn't come in next lap. And then he stayed out for like eight or nine laps. And it was like, okay, so where where's he going with this? Like, what's where's this going? Like, where's this unfolding? And then it, when he came back out, his first lap on the supers, he was mighty, and I was like, oh, that's where it's unfolding. He's quick <laughs> on those tires. He's coming to get you. Um, there, there was a brief part of me, uh, brief brief part of me that went, I wanted to just say, Seb, you know what? Just stay out there till the end when you're in first, you know, and see. You know the anarchist in me wanted them to just stay on their used set, you know, and and just see see how far he could get towards the end, and and you know have Lewis coming at him, and then um, Seb would be in, in P one, Lewis would then be in P two, but Seb, Seb would be on the the old tires and see if he could, uh, you know, get you know get involved in the the title uh, shenanigans that way. Could you have imagined if it had been Sebastian Vettel backing Lewis Hamilton up into, into Nico Rosberg? Well, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> That would have been so much fun. The meltdown you know? on social media would have that been. Would have been, but then, then it just, just as, just as Lewis was starting to rein him in properly, he pitted for the supers and did his own thing and managed to get the podium, which is obviously their key objective. They got what they wanted, but there was just a slight anarchistic part of me that went, "Oh, how funny would it be if Seb was in front of Lewis and you know got right involved that way? That would have been, that would have been interesting." But alas, we'll never, we'll never see it. Just interestingly, while we're talking about Seb, do you think? There's anything in the in the conspiracy that he was never really going to pass Nico? I uh, I don't think, think so? that now I don't think that's unreasonable 
but I don't think it's for the reason that conspiracy theorists check <laughs> out there, which is that um, he's a German and Nick is a German and they're friends bits and pieces. I think it's realistically that unless you are a complete and utter sociopath, why would you do something that could ruin somebody else's title chances? Yeah, yeah. Do you no. know what I mean? I, I think... I think my, the only person I can imagine that would do anything like that would be Max Verstappen, ironically. Yeah, Max. Uh, and, and that's Max only because he's not really learnt enough to, I think, appreciate yeah. what he'd be doing. So, uh, yeah, Sebastian's a bit of a, you know, he's a bit of a purist, isn't he? And he, I think he wanted to let them to do it at the top. You know? He seems to be the last of that old guard who still yes. kind of understand the the rules of being an F1 driver. And absolutely, absolutely. And I absolutely. think he just looked at it and just went. It's gonna be a lunge, and if I uh -huh. mess this up, then could I live with myself if I yeah, the exactly. reason that, that exactly. somebody didn't win a championship? It'd be one thing. I think if the ironic thing is, is I think if it if it had been Lewis, he probably would have done it, but only because um, in and of itself, it wouldn't be costing Lewis the championship. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. He, if he lunged upside of Nico and took Nico completely out of the race, yeah, that would that. I mean. And and you know, German taking out a fellow German, he would have got stick back home. It's not I worth think it's it. Just, is it? It's I think not it's worth just it you could. I just don't think uh, for all the things that Sebastian has done, like multi twenty one jumping to mind and all those bits and pieces. I don't think that's the kind of thing that he does. You know, he might take I, advantage of a situation, but I don't think he's out. I don't think he's got that. I, I really also, care so little about what happens that I'm just going to do it and see what happens. Um, I would also suggest that he's probably grown up a little bit since the multi-21 days. Yeah, I, I think that's true. I think that's true. Um, maybe maybe yeah. not the language he uses on the radio, but uh, <laughs> well, <laughs> I think well. in general racing attitude, I think he's he's a little think, bit more canny about what he does. and what. I think he's become a little bit more philosophical about things as well. He realises he's, he's four-time world champion. Him sticking a daft one up the inside of two guys who are battling it out isn't it isn't really his fight to be jumping into, and I think he was ultimately quite content with the you know he he was at sixth at one stage in the race. I think he thought I'm third here. I've had a good weekend, you know. I'm I'm quite happy where I am, thanks. And you guys up front can you guys can sort your own problems. It's it's not to do with me, sort of thing. And and I think and, at the end of the day, third place for Ferrari at this point was a good return on investment. You know, he hadn't started anywhere near there and Ferrari hadn't looked like really challenging for that podium position all weekend. So Yeah, exactly. He was quite Seb was happy, Ferrari was happy. You know. I think it all worked out and I, how much of that goes through his head as he's driving, I don't know. But I think the base of it was that he just looked at somebody ahead of him whose life he could have ruined and just went, it's not worth it. It's not yeah. worth not worth my sanity for for ruining his you know his world title, regardless of who it was. Um, and like I say, I think if it had been the other way around and it had been Lewis, it'd have been different because at that point it doesn't matter. Do you know what I mean? Whether you know if if he was behind, if Lewis is in second and Nico was first, he might have done because I think at the end of the day he looks at it and goes, well, you got to be first anyway. So if you're not going to challenge Nico for the lead, then I'm definitely going to challenge you for second place because yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. you know. Um, you know, you have to do something from there. But uh, but I think if it you know if it had been the other way in some way where it was Lewis in front of him uh, and it was for Lewis to win the championship, I still think he would have, he wouldn't have done it. Do you know what I mean? I don't think it mattered which driver it was in front. His sensibilities as a racer, I think, got the better of him there and said no, nothing, nothing stupid. 
I'm not going to be the guy that, you know, ruined a world championship. I'm not past the Maldonado. Let's just <laughs> let's just t- keep calm and carry on. Um, and so, you know, so that's what happens, really. Um, and, uh, and, you know, my just... Seb's my boy, Nico's my boy. Those two, you know, celebrating after warmed my heart, you know, them getting selfies and stuff for the <laughs> that trophies. That was funny. Just... That did make me laugh. And in the podium room, you had Seb hanging out with the Mercedes guys getting pictures and Lewis was nowhere to be seen. I think that told its own story as well. It, t- it tells the story of this <laughs> season very definitely. But that, that, that warmed my heart, Seb and Nico, you know, celebrating together. You know, four-time world champion, congratulating uh, his mate joining the club. You know, that's to me, that's that's feel good to me. Like you say, a new name on the trophy is, in my opinion, good for the game. So, yeah, I, I, I went away happy. I, no fingernails left. But, but happy. <laughs> I'm going to tell you something that's really interesting. I've just looked down um, the, the results. And realistically, it's it's two by two. It's all the teams in order by the retirees. So seventh and eighth in a very good finish to a very good season for Formula for Force India is Hulkenberg and then Perez. Mm-hmm. You then have Massa and Alonso, who both lost their teammates. Yep. You then have Grosjean and Gutierrez. You then have Ocon and Verline. You <laughs> then have Ericsson and NASA. You then have Jolie and Palmer, but K-Mag was out of the race by this point. Um, and then you have Sainz and... Uh, oh, sorry. Actually, they're DNFs, yeah. They are DNFs. DNFs so. But ironically, they DNF in the right order, so it works. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I see, I see what you're looking at now, yeah. <laughs> so, so Carlos retires later than Kvyat, so it goes Toro Rosso, Toro Rosso. I think that might be um, the nature of the Abu Dhabi racetrack a little bit. That just you know, I think I think it ironically it's to that sort of. You're right that the strung out like washing the two guys and just, the processional stuff. But yeah, I also yeah. think it, it for whatever reason, um, as we've gone into this last race, I think the cars have just kind of worked out where they are. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. The, the rough paces. I think everybody's ended up roughly where their their cars probably should actually be. Yep, um, that's fair. You know, Sauber finishing behind Manor, who then finished just behind Haas. You know that that sounds about right. Yeah. Um, you know, and and Honda prob- and the McLaren just behind the Williams or the Force Indias, which is pretty yeah. much been their season this season. McLaren not being good enough to compete so much with Force India and Williams, but being easily better than the Haas, the Manor, and the Sauber, which is yeah, they're right, they're right in that that literal the middle. You know, that midfield right bang in the heart of it. The key for them, obviously, is going to be getting out of that into the into the, into the top four, yeah. as you would say in football terms. The, I, think, um, I think I think Alonso will take take um, some comfort that in the last race, you know, he was really r- racing Massa for that final that yeah, final that, position. They they finished only you know sort of um, four hundred uh, four tenths of a second behind one another. So there has been without shadow of a doubt tangible development there i don't think you know, everybody can see that so i mean and next year you know who knows at this point who knows who's going to have the quickest car who's going to have the best uh answer to these um to these changes that are going to be coming so yeah i mean fernando can go through the winter i think feeling slightly more optimistic than he did last winter I'll put it that way <laughs> uh, yes and i think anything would have been a, a sl- an improvement on there uh... Uh, on last season, that's that's for sure. Um, so that kind of that kind of covers the rest of the race because there's there's very little to talk about. If you if you exclude how tense 
the first four, sort of four places were. The rest of the race was your typical Abu Dhabi Dulles Ditchwater race, really, where not a lot happens apart from the odd time where somebody happens to arrive on the straight on newer tyres than somebody else and then breezes yep. past with DRS. Um, the one, the person I would like, well, I would like to talk about. I'm sure you would as well. Is the DNF, Mr. Oh, Jetson? Yeah, in his in his last race, I think it's it's just it's the hallmark of 2016 that horrible things keep on <laughs> happening. Massa doesn't finish in Brazil. In you know, yes. I'm sure if you'd have said which of the two last races would you rather finish in Brazil or Abu Dhabi, he'd have absolutely said, "I don't, <laughs> don't give a stuff about Abu Dhabi. Just let me finish in you know." In Agreed. Brazil. Agreed. But at the same time, as we mentioned last week. Him walking down the pitch, <laughs> it, ironically, was yes. possibly the greatest moment of the season. So, you know, you know, he he had a good career. You know, he can't complain. And Jensen as well. Um, yeah, I was genuinely like, did you see the interview that um, I don't know one of the Sky Girls, I don't know their names, Natalie maybe. Um, she said, though, I um. I watched, I've had the privilege of interviewing you as a journalist and before that as a child growing up and watching you. So just from me, thank you. And like he was like getting a wee bit sad and emotional, Jensen. I was like, oh, that's nice, isn't it? It was a really nice thing to say. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm going to miss Jensen. Yeah. I, 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 some of the, uh, I, you know, I'm going to hate myself for saying it. I think some, <laughs> think, I think he was a little bit un unnecessarily uh scathing in some of the stuff he said immediately after the race um but you know still i'm i'm really gonna miss him on the grid and seeing him racing and i'd rather he was in the sport than than not it's it's just the way that the cookie has crumbled isn't it at the end of the day these these things happen it just remi- reminds me of David Coulthard. Do you remember when he was retiring in the Rebel and everybody had hyped up his last race in Brazil um, and he got three corners into it before being taken out? And it was just <laughs> kind of, there was some kind of inevi- inevitability that, you know, Jensen was going to um, end up not finishing that race, his last, you know, his almost certain last race in Formula One. Um so I'd kind of st- I'd steeled myself to the fact that it was almost certainly going to happen. The sad bit, the saddest bit, is that essentially it's self-inflicted because it, he he runs over the big orange yeah, sausage curb. And he definitely did. It was his fault. <laughs> you know w- whether that part should take that strain or not. If he doesn't go over it, it probably doesn't snap. And he, you know, if he doesn't do it again, the rest of the race he probably finishes the race. Um, I was a little bit sad that it, it seemed like maybe McLaren didn't try and fix the car and get it out. They yeah. had they had all race to do it, even if it meant that he got out and was, you know, 40 laps behind on the last lap or whatever it was, then so be it. Let him have one, you know, let him cross the finish line for one last time, even if the car's not going 100% or anything. Just get something in there to make it work and, and let him let him drive it. Um, I think that was that was the sad bit for me, really. It, was, was, it seemed like there might have been a chance that he could have gotten out if they'd went to it but he i mean he he seemed to be very quickly out the back of the garage and gone so i don't know whether he was just done was yeah just like, i, I mean, can't be bothered yeah yeah i mean there's probably an element to that to be fair but yeah we'll miss him and massa as well honorable mention to um to him he's had another he's had a good career so we'll miss both of those guys 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I guess that's probably the greatest segue we can make <laughs> into the big news of today. Friday, the 2nd of December. Nico Very Rosberg, well. current world champion, has retired from the sport. Tell you what, I've seen a lot of sport over the last 20 years. It's pretty much what my entire life is built around. And I was gobsmacked today, like I've not been gobsmacked for a long time. <laughs> no. Legitimate gobsmacked when I read that. <laughs> You're not going to believe this, <laughs> because my predictions are usually pretty terrible. But literally last night, I was sat down on the computer, reading some bits and pieces about how... Um, you know, Lewis was being disciplined by the team and maybe they get they could get rid of him. And I was tweeting some things like, you, you know, it, it, it's probably not going to happen, but it could. You know, there's there's no reason why Mercedes have to keep him. Um, and after I'd done tweeting, I went, in fact, the only reason that they'd really keep him would, would be if Nico retired. And then I thought about it some more and think, well, he could, though. He's got a new, you know, newish, new-ish, Young, uh, it's a daughter he's got, isn't it? It's not a, it's not got a son, is it? It's, a, it's his little daughter, I think. That he's almost certainly missed most of her growing up, during which he's had three fairly hellish years, really, um, leading up to today. Would it be that surprising if he went? I've done it now. I don't, I don't need to win three titles. I don't need to do that to prove anything to anybody. I've done the thing that I wanted to do and that my whole life has been building towards. Why don't I take the millions of dollars that I've earned um, and go and be a family man with my, you know, my wife and daughter? Why don't I, you know, why don't I do a Mika Hakkinen basically and go, you know what? I don't, I don't really need to do it. And, you know, there's plenty of precedent, you know, Prost did it. Prost left after winning the world title. He said, do you know what? I've done everything that I wanted to do. It's time to go. Mickey did the same thing. We raced after, you know, again, he raced after his, his title win, but not for very long before he went, why am I risking my life? I've, I'm a double world champion. Why, you know, what what more do I really need to do? And, and I think certain drivers, and it's it's kind of interesting that if you think about those three drivers who were drivers that you would probably say were fairly, maybe Mika slightly less so because he was blindingly, quick as well but maybe drivers that you think of as being a bit more cerebral Mm -hmm. definitely yeah all all probably left at the height of what they were doing you know there's no doubt that Prost could have carried on or Mika could have carried on and Nico could have carried on there's no nothing to say that Mercedes won't be right at the top of the pile next year um and you know Nico could be a double world champion but I think he's looked at what life outside of F1 can offer him, what the last three years of F1 have done to him, and gone, I don't need this. I actually, I personally do not need it. And some well, people... Have... because, yeah, he said today as well when he was asked, is there an opportunity down the line for you to come back? And he went, no. And he was properly adamant, like, no, this is it. Um, you know, when you're done, you're done, you're done. And, and, and he's done, you know, like... He's, you could tell in his tone of voice and the way he answered the question, he was, uh, yeah, he's just not, he's not going back on this. I don't think, you know. 
No, and you know, there's some people. Uh, it was a bit sad to see Martin Brundle do this. He put out a thing saying, "Oh, I wonder if Nico Rosberg in a year's time will, you know, regret saying this just a week after he won the title." But I don't think he will. I don't think Nico Rosberg's that kind of guy. I don't think he comes comes up with a decision and goes, "Ah, let's just do that." I don't think he's, you know, he's a, he's making snap judgments about this feels good right now. So great, I'm done. I think. He's the kind of guy that has worked all of his life, um, you know, and he's a pretty straight guy, you know, in, on the racetrack and, and around racing. Do you know what I mean? He's not a um, a kidder, a, a jokey guy like a Sebastian has been, you know, um, or somebody like that. And I, I think to some degree, I think F1 has been his job mm-hmm. and he's now achieved everything that his job could do. He's clearly financially never going to be short of a bob or two for the rest of his life. He doesn't have to worry about that. Not that he couldn't go out and do a load of adverts now, um, go and work for um, Sky Germany. Do you know what I mean? When he wanted to. He could go and race in a in, in a formula that's, you know, he could do WEC if he wanted to or Formula E or he could do, you know, something where, where maybe the danger is slightly less if he really wanted to keep on racing. And I think he's just gone, you know what? This job has probably actually kind of sucked for the last three years, despite how you know, despite how good it feels right this second. Is it worth it? I don't think it is, and I I think he will be content with that decision. I don't think he'll be doing a shoe and you know coming back after a few years saying, "Oh, I've missed F one," and that's it. I don't think that's the kind of racer that he is, and I think that's fair enough, you know. Your dream job is only your dream job if you really enjoy it, you know. If you if your dream job is working in the sewers underneath London, then it's your dream job, isn't it? As long as you keep on enjoying it, as long as it's the thing that you want to do, that's well, it. Absolutely, yeah. Um, and if it stops being fun and you stop wanting to do it, which is what I fi- I think is you know part of the catalyst behind it, don't do it. You don't have to do it. He doesn't have to risk his life in a Formula One car just to win another world title if he doesn't really want to do it. And especially not if what he really wants to do is spend time with his wife and daughter. Well, that's it. You know, Formula One drivers, they sacrifice so much to be to be what they are. You know, they have to sacrifice their not only their, you know, their physical health you know, and their fitness and everything like that, but then they have to sacrifice time away from their families, time away from their friends, on the road, have many days a year, traveling all around the world and things like that. And yeah, you know, he's just had a, like you say, he's got the child, the child, he's got the wife. That's what he wants to do. Who are we to knock that? I'm gutted as a fan <laughs> that we won't, I won't get to see him defend his, uh, defend his crown. But um, more power to him if he's. You know, strong enough mentally to make this kind of decision and say, "I'm. This is what you know. This is what this works is, for me." Yeah, and 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 the rest of you are largely irrelevant because I'm doing <laughs> what's best for me, kind yep. of thing. Is fair a lot enough. of courage to do that. A lot yeah. of courage to walk away. You think about the number of boxers who should have retired at the peak. Yeah, and they go on and go on and go on, and then they just end up getting beat. And it, Absolutely. You know, it, it takes something away from them. At the end of the day, 
he gets the work away world champion, it will never get worse for him in Formula One than he is now. Yep, that's it. It's all right, isn't it? And if he's happy, then we just have to respect that. And I'll be sad that he's not on the grid in uh, Melbourne, but with every door closes, there's an opening, to use a bit of a cliche. <laughs> a little so, bit. who steps in his shoes is the next burning question on everybody's list. Okay. Well, let's let's knock this back and forward. So, I'll say a name, we'll talk about it, and then you can suggest somebody, and we'll see, see who we get through. So, okay. my first nomination, I'm going to take the easy one, I'm afraid. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pascal Verlein. Yep, I think he'll get it. Yeah. And I think, <laughs> I think so. that is generally the feeling. I think everybody's just gone... And made put two and two together, and you've gone. Hmm. Mercedes young driver seems to have magically missed being signed up to any long-term contract this season, whilst his much more junior uh, partner has seemed to have shot up the field to force India. Um, he's completely available because there's no way that Manor are going to do anything to hold him up whilst they're being surprised oh, yeah. by Mercedes. Ma- Ma- Manor are going to put up a, a legal fight to keep hold of him. <laughs> yeah, oh, come on, no. exactly. <laughs> um, <laughs> And the way I look at it, my biggest factor in all of this is he's very young. uh, He's ingrained in the Mercedes team. And I think after the last three seasons, what they want is a good company boy to come in, play second fiddle to Lewis and let the whole team kind of heal over. It's It's been fractured. You know, the rifts have appeared throughout the season. Um, there can't be that much good feeling between the sides of the garage. Or I think if you look in the term of, of Lewis's side of the garage, he's essentially insulted his mechanics all season by saying, I don't understand why I lost my mechanics to Nico. I don't know why I've got these guys. Um, what they kind of need is somewhere somebody that Lewis is going to be happy racing against who isn't going to cause them lots of headaches, um, will do what he's told, will not be difficult to work with and will be very grateful for the opportunity of being in the second seat at Mercedes Um, whilst they transition into a year where they're slightly more uncertain about whether they'll keep their pace advantage yep I mean I um, I couldn't argue anything you've just said there for uh, that those reasons you've listed are why I think he will get the gig Um, I'm a little bit disappointed if he does get it I mean I don't dislike Verlaine I think he's got something actually but just you know the F1 fan of me wants somebody in that seat that's going to throw it down to Lewis. Um, but I agree with you. I think given everything that's going on, they have to play it safe from a team harmony perspective. You know, there's they've been gifted an opportunity here. Mercedes have Toto and Paddy have been gifted an opportunity by Nico doing his own thing to just completely settle that team back down into some sort of norm after three years of complete turmoil, you know. Because it could have been another season of absolute anarchy, especially given how Abu Dhabi finished with Lewis and Nico and whatever else. So they've been gifted a, an open goal here to, to start afresh and to um, create... A team, a positive team environment, without having to do anything, without having to fire Lewis, without having to fire Nico, without having to do anything, they've been gifted a a, a golden opportunity to, for a clean slate, without upsetting anybody. You got Nico going out on a high, you got Lewis, who'll be happy that he's going to be the main man next season. 
it all for it all works perfectly for Mercedes to put Pascal in the car. However, uh-huh. that, that's boring. <laughs> Let's throw some more interesting names in there. I'll say a name. You tell me why he isn't going to be in the car. <laughs> okay, that sounds good. I like this. Max Verstappen. Um, Max Verstappen isn't going to be in that car because he will be handcuffed to Red Bull. <laughs> Christian um, Horner's got him in a cage in yeah, his front room. <laughs> basically, is, is is what it is. And that that is pretty much all that comes down to. I think Mercedes would have him. Mercedes would take him. Um, oh, for sure. For and I sure. think Jos Verstappen would, you know, be quietly texting Toto saying, I'll have a quick look at that contract and see what we, you know, see what we can sort about it. But I don't see it happening. Plus, he's currently in the second best car, a car that's developed across the season to be clearly ahead of the Ferrari and really quite close to the Mercedes, closer than any other team's really been to the Mercedes at any other point. This is my point. That I put we we go into next season with reg changes where aero starts to be more, you know, more dominant, um, more grip from the tyres. If the engines start to become, you know, less of a dominance that they have been in the years. I don't know, you know, is Red Bull the worst place to be? That's That's entirely my point. I put this on Twitter today. I think he would be wrong to move. He would be foolish not to see what Red Bull have come up with for 2017. If, it, if, they, if, if they don't get it right in 2017 and there's still half a second a lap off the pace in 2017, then start sniffing around for a move. But he'd be foolish with all these regulation changes to come in not to have said, oh, that's, look what they did with Sebastian when it was quite an aero-focused formula. Let's just see what we've got going next season. He'd, he, he'd be silly not to, not to see what Red Bull bring to the table. So that I don't think I don't think it would be a good move for Max at this stage. As silly as that sounds, to go to Mercedes, they've dominated for the last three seasons. Obviously, it'd be a good move for anybody. But if I'm Max Verstappen, I'm sitting in that Red Bull, quietly content going into 2017, having finished 2016 on such a high, and I wouldn't be looking for the move. A, th- a third thing that I can think of is that currently between Ricardo and Verstappen there seems to be a decent bit of camaraderie and chemistry. They seem to be a good team. Um, Does anybody see being Lewis Hamilton's partner as anything other than a poison chalice at the moment? No. (laughs) No, no, Max and Lewis together, that's... You know, if if 18 years of friendship between Nico and Lewis can be undone within a series of races, then what's it going to be between Max, who literally has no Fs to give, about any, you know, about any of this stuff, um, next to you know an angry Lewis Hamilton, if he finds himself on the wrong end of you know um, Max Verstappen in in the same car as him, it doesn't it doesn't sound like something that should work to me. So that that's my other side to it as well. I I agree. So another name who you who if we're agreed that Pascal is going in the car, why isn't Fernando Alonso going in the car? <laughs> the real reason for that is who they've got in the other seat in that car. Yep, I agree. Um, <laughs> as much as Lewis can put out there that he doesn't care who's in the car, man. I don't care who's in the car. He doesn't want it to be Fernando the Alonso. One person he doesn't want it to be is Fernando Alonso. I think anybody else. I think he'd take you know if he gave him Max Verstappen or Fernando Alonso, he'd take 
Max Verstappen yeah, at this I point. I think he'd back himself to beat anybody on the grid, and he probably would back himself to beat um, Fernando too because he's you know because he's Lewis Hamilton. He and, and, and he's no, but he should. He's a triple world champion. But he you know, should back himself. He yeah. should be backing himself to beat anybody on the grid. But if there's one guy on the grid that I think he would fear over anybody else, it would be Fernando Alonso, and and rightfully so and, because. And there- I Sorry. think I made my case a couple of weeks ago about why Fernando was still the best on the grid. And I think that's the that's the 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 thing for me is that Fernando's tool set is much bigger than um, Lewis's. Lewis is is pretty much all about the fact um, he is blindingly quick just about anywhere and in pretty much any condition. He can go fast wherever you want him to go fast, but. That isn't the only thing that can make you a world champion. It certainly helps when you're in a car like the Mercedes and you, you know, you're uh, half a second quicker than everybody else on the grid, um, and you're only fighting your teammate. Um, but I think when it, if it comes down to the kind of battles that could be going on if the teammates are that much closer on the track, um, Alonso has shown himself that he can just make the cars do things that other guys don't seem to be able to do. You know, and whilst Lewis might be a slight caliber over some of Fernando's past teammates, you're still talking about teammates like Felipe Massa and Kimi Raikkonen, one of whom is a world champion. You know, and the other one, um, you know, would have would have been a world champion. Not were, were he not slightly more unlucky. Lewis Hamilton fans, you know, having won more races in the 2008 season than Lewis did. Um, <laughs> <laughs> just to throw that one out there. Um, I I. I think if there's anybody who could make Lewis doubt himself during a season, yes. I think it's Fernando Alonso. I, I think he, I think he, he always has had at the back of his mind that the one season they had in McLaren together, it was awfully close, um, and that was when he was at a team that totally backed him, uh, and quite clearly Mercedes, you know, are not the kind of team to play favourites when they've got two potential world champions in the team. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. If, if they're willing to give Nico the support that he's got, then there's no way that Fernando's going to get less than that. Of know? course, of course, yeah. yeah. They'd have to pay him big money to get him to move as well, out of the McLaren contract and stuff. So I don't know how... Mc, you'll know better than me. Can he... He does can, have a... Can, can Alonso jump if Mercedes said how high? Yeah, he's um, uh, he's he, he was two years with, the I think, a third year that was his choice. So, 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 so McLaren are obviously going to take up his option. So mm-hmm. he's the McLaren drive is like a definite. But I think he, I think the rumor is that he he has the ability to say, mm, "Don't fancy it," and can go so, somewhere else. So if Merck did come in, that's very interesting. The I only the only that. thing about that is whether his his option allows him to go and work for somebody else, or whether it's a case of saying, "Okay, if you don't like what you know, 2017, um, that's fine." On your merry way, but you can't sign for anybody else in you yeah, know, yeah. Formula. You got to you got to essentially take Formula One gardening leave for yeah. that year, and then you can come back because that's what everybody said that he would take a sabbatical. Do you remember? Yeah, of course. As yeah. opposed to saying he would leave for another team, because I think that's kind of where the the contract lets him go. But still, it, it, I think it's still you know it's still about. Um, but again, Money, you know, it's you can do anything. You know, yes. a, a deal a deal can always be done. If, if, it, if it suits the parties, you know. So that will lead me to my next suggestion. Mm-hmm. Sebastian Vettel. A very, um, a very interesting one. 
if the question is why won't it be him don't really have one <laughs> specific point I just don't think it will be him <laughs> but I don't have one particular you know ironclad reason as to why it isn't I just don't think he'll leave Ferrari I don't think Mercedes will target him I don't think they'll it'll work he might work well with Lewis but I can't really see it like I don't know I just if they're going to take someone out of another top team, if they're going to target a, a world champion, if they're going to say, we've lost a world champion, we want to bring in another world champion, then they'll go for Alonso. I don't think, I just, I don't, I'm not feeling Vettel there for some reason. What do you think? I'm less sceptical. I, I think the biggest block is Ferrari it, itself, about them letting him go. Mm-hmm. Um, because... I don't think they want to let him go. They've not got anybody to replace him. And yep. that's that's the big, you know, step. They've got Kimmy who has had a great season this season. You know, let's you know, probably his best season for, you know, maybe two or three years. Well, certainly since his um days in the Lotus. Yeah. Um and whilst that's good for the team, because it means they've got somebody more reliable in that in that other seat, you know, they they dragged him away from Red Bull, which probably, you know, was difficult enough. I think they'll want to capitalise on the investment that they've made in bringing him into the team. I agree. Um, They're building that team around him. So. Yeah. And the one thing that Ferrari really can't afford at this moment is more instability. Absolutely. Gone, gone through 16 million team principals in the last two seasons. Um, the last thing I think they can do is, is to upset the driver lineup and have to kind of start again with you know, somebody else uh, and who, who would they get in to do it? You know, they'd, they'd have to try and pluck somebody like Roman Grosjean from Haas, wouldn't they? Or somebody like that. I think there's not, they're not pulling anybody from Red Bull. They obviously can't pull anybody from Mercedes. Um, you know, where are you looking? Um, and that may, will maybe go on to look at some of the other people on the grid for the Mercedes spot, but that ultimately, you know, I, I, I can't see them doing it. However much, you know, Merck put five hundred million pounds in their their lap. I don't think they'd go for it. I think they'd just say no because I don't. I think at that point it would stop being about the money. So that's that is the only reason. Because otherwise, I think they would. I think they absolutely would. You know, they'd Total Wolf uh, and Mercedes board would cream themselves to have four time German world champion in Mercedes. They absolutely would, without a doubt regardless of what Lewis said. If Lewis doesn't have the clause to stop anybody being his teammate, then that's who they would go for if he was available, I think. But I think his inavailability is the reason it won't happen. Okay. I I mean, I generally agree when I say I can't point to one ironclad reason. I think you've kind of summed up all of the the little things that, that I was sort of... the way I was feeling. I just, yeah, I mean, in particular... Would would Sebastian go if they gave him the opportunity? Yeah, I think absolutely. I think Ferrari would, yeah. have um, have underwhelmed him. Um, I think he'd he he'd take the chance because I, I, I don't. I think Sebastian is that kind of driver. I think where he'll he, roll he, the he, dice. Yeah, yeah, he's willing to go where he thinks he'll get the um, best results. Yeah, yeah, no, I can't argue with that. You know, he didn't hang about at Red Bull, having won four world titles. It took one season of not being particularly fast, and he was out the door. So, 
No, I can't argue with that. I just, uh, yeah, I think there's still more to come in the Sebastian Vettel Ferrari story. It's only been two seasons. Uh, I think there's more to come there, and I just I can't see Sebastian not driving that car next year. Um, I I will be very, I'll be extremely surprised if he isn't put it that way. I think the guys that we've spoken about are are definitely far more likely. Even I mean, we we think it's Verline, fair enough. But if we are going to say, you know, somebody of a more established name, I think Vettel was the the least likely. But we will see. Other names then down a the grid. Someone sort of halfway between Pascal Verline and uh, Sebastian Vettel. Say someone like Bottas, Valtteri Bottas. Bottas is my next is my next choice. He has the advantage over Bottas by being better, um, more experienced, um, experienced with a Mercedes engine car in a Mercedes team where the chance of reduced engine costs and maybe a good chunk of cash might well tempt them to release him. Plus, Mm -hmm. um, by releasing Bottas, who, as far as I'm aware, doesn't come with a lot of sponsorship, frees up another seat where they could, you know, get somebody in who might have some backing. And I start to think here of Felipe Nasa. If, you know, Bank of Brazil have, have left their Sauber sponsorship, but I don't know whether that's because of the way that Sauber is now structured with Marcus Ericsson's backers essentially owning the team. Whether they've gone, well, you know, we're, we're not getting what we want out of this deal because we can see that this, this is going to go this way. So they've gone. But if they said, okay, well, let's go to Williams where, you know, we'll get a lot more exposure potentially, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, stick our logos on that, that you know, that car that's doing all right. It, you know, that could bring a lot of money into um, Williams. They obviously have another Brazilian driver, which, you know, seems to have worked well for them in the past. Um, well, that's true. Yeah, I mean, I don't, um, I can totally see Williams taking the money. Because that's just an unfortunate state of the game right now for Williams. They they are always sort of on that financial breadline. So I could see them doing that. However, just, you know, from a, t- a, 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 a team, you know, boss point of view, having NASA and the, um, what's the other lad called? The Williams second driver next season? Lance Stroll. Stroll. That's a very, very inexperienced GP2E lineup. Um, and I say that with the greatest, as much respect as I can for Felipe Nasser because he's not had a car at all to show what he can do this year. But uh, there isn't anybody that you could point to that team and say, there's the team leader, there's the guy that's going to you know, drag that car onto the next level. And for a team like Williams, that would concern me greatly, having managed to get themselves just about back towards the right end of the grid over the last couple of years. That would worry me greatly if they got rid of Bottas and brought in someone like Nazar, and you know that 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 it was a scream. It's two pay drivers at the end of the day, then, and that's never a good sign. If you have to take one pay driver, you have to take one pay driver, and we'll kind of accept that. But when you've got two in the car, that's that's a bit concerning for me. So, um, and I don't mind Nazar at all. I think he's okay, but just it. He wouldn't be. He wouldn't be on my first choice of people to go in the, in the Williams if they lost Bottas. Put it that way. But I can see why they might be tempted by the money because that's just a sad state of the way it is just now. Bottas and the Merck, though. Um, I think it's good. I think it's yeah. It's it's almost a halfway house between Pascal Verlaine and someone like Alonso or Vettel. 
it's someone who has experience, is quick, we know he's got ability. Will he play second fiddle to Lewis? Probably nowhere near as much as Verlaine would, but ultimately would, certainly for the first year, probably be quite happy to play the team game um, because he's been given the opportunity in the big in the big car. So he'd probably say, okay, I'll play the team game for the first year, play second fiddle to Lewis, and then second year maybe then start throwing down down the challenge when Lewis is maybe looking like, you know, starting to look towards the end of his own career. So Bottas would be a very interesting one. Um, I like him a lot. I think he's definitely got talent. be nice to see what he can do in a car that isn't the Williams, that is for sure, because he's only ever driven the Williams, Bottas. He came into the Williams, into F1. So, yeah, that, that is certainly an option. And I think behind Verline, that would probably be the, the, the next choice if I... I for from a total wolf paddy low point of view, I think they'll go Verline, but if they don't put Verline, I think it'll be I think Bottas would be their next choice. I would prefer to see Bottas in the car than Verline, I think. I think that would be more interesting. I just got this bad feeling that Verline's gonna if it is Verline, just be, you know, a a, a standard run of the mill second driver that's just gonna put her around and get the odd second and third and if that if that if, put it this way, if, if it was Verline and, and Lewis in this season's Mercedes, Lewis would have won twenty Grand Prix this season probably. Because I, I I've just got horrible images of a a Schumacher esque situation where, you know, everything is everything is geared at Lewis and Verline just uh it's just there to make sure they win the constructors championship kind of thing. And that's not really what you want. You know, at the end of the day, we didn't like it particularly when it was happening with Vettel, and we didn't like it when it was happening with Schumacher. The good thing about Mercedes dominance is we have at least had two drivers that are competing, and I feel like that's the one saving grace of the last couple of seasons is the fact that we've had two drivers in the same team competing. Whereas if you put Vela in, in for Rosberg, the one thing that's kind of kept us going would then be gone. So that is something that would fill me with concern. Having said all of that. I fancy Red Bull to be quick next season. So hopefully it won't come down to that. I have two more suggestions. Sort of. Okay. Let's see if I can guess them. Okay. Jensen Button. <laughs> You've got one. Yes. I'm not quite sure who the other one might be. I'd just be guessing a bunch of um, sort of midfield guys that, you know, are all, they're all good. Mm. You know, your Perez's, your Hulkenberg's, your Grosjean's and whatever. Is it, is it one of that, that no. crowd? Is it someone a bit more left field than that? Uh, it's somebody more left field on the basis that I'm not thinking about them replacing Nico next year. What do you mean? So, well, let's talk about Jensen Button first. Right. He's just retired, apparently. Said he thought he'd maybe retired a bit too quickly. <laughs> I wonder if this will make him change his mind. He's worked with Lewis before. They had a pretty good relationship. Mm-hmm. Seemingly with Lewis, with everybody other than Heike Kovalainen, um, who's been the only teammate I think he's never had a problem with, on the basis that Heike Kovalainen never proved to be anything like a piece of competition for him. Um, Ex-world champion, knows how to drive a car, uh, knows how to drive sensibly. Um, is that a good fit for Mercedes? Can You couldn't go wrong, you know. You certainly couldn't go wrong. Do you think the only mitigating factor is the fact that Jensen seemed really, really browned off with F1 by the end of this season? Yes, that is pretty much it for me. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
He seemed really definite. He seemed really, really definite. He, he just, he, he just, he lost his smile in the last couple of races, Jensen. Yeah. Um, I don't know where it's two or three seasons of driving that McLaren. But, um... <laughs> I think it's more than two or three seasons for him as well. Realistically, <laughs> it's been that McLaren for about four or five seasons for him, bar that, um, that little um, spot in t- uh, 2011 where it was, it was not too bad. But yeah, um, yeah, that's the thing that would, you know, if we're, if we're doing, why won't it be as the game here? Why won't it be Jensen? Possibly Jensen's own sort of, I've kind of fed up with it. I'm going to go and chill out and have a beer attitude. Um, he's, I mean, he's 37, Jensen Button, so he he might well be sort of thinking, ah, I'm, he's mentally retired, you know. He's had the moment of not failing to finish Abu Dhabi and everybody, the whole press and everything going wild for his last Grand Prix and giving all the interviews and everything and thanking everybody. He's had all of that, and mentally, it might not. It might, he might just think, "Nah, it's it's just um, I'm I've already zoned out." And as much as it's tempted to come back and drive a, a top car, he might have already sort of moved on in his head and put started formulating his own plan for the next stage of his career together. So that's the that's the thing that would put put Jensen on my probably won't be list. However, having said all that, I would. I think it'd be great fun to see Jensen one last season in a legit winning car. That'd be, I mean, I would like to see that, but I don't think it will happen. Okay. So that leaves me with my last slightly out there suggestion. Actually, I actually have another one, but we'll, I'll talk about that one afterwards. Mm-hmm. It's not for this season. So Pascal goes into the car this season. Right. Okay. Okay. 2018. Daniel Ricciardo leaves Red Bull. Right, okay. Goes to Mercedes. Mm-hmm. Carlos Sainz then gets to set, step up to the Red Bull team. Yep. Pierre, Pierre Gasly then gets to take over a seat at Toro Rosso. Mm-hmm. That, that's it, basically. Mercedes, <laughs> that, Mercedes could, wait I, a year for the driver that they really want. I could see that. And it, The only know. stumbling block in that is what if they put Vela in a car and he sets the house on fire? Well, then know? they've not lost anything, have they? True. <laughs> then they keep him in the car and they don't take Daniel Ricciardo and Daniel Ricciardo probably re-signs for Red Bull but yeah, or Ferrari <laughs> oh, yeah, possibly or Ferrari where, I mean depending where Kimmy Raikkonen goes because yeah, that, that we're true. just in general just as a generalisation we're reaching a very interesting phase now in the next two or three years in Formula 1 you know Rosberg's gone quicker than anybody expected Alonso isn't hanging about Button's gone Kimmy won't be hanging about over the next season or two who knows how much Lewis really wants it beyond the next year or two. Sebastian has always hinted that, you know, he could go early, Sebastian Vettel, if he's not got a car that can win him races. He's not I can't see Vettel ever doing a Fernando Alonso and plugging around in a McLaren that's halfway down the grid and hoping for the best, you know, that that's gonna come good. Can't see Seb ever doing that. If he's not in the podium positions, he's no interested. Uh there's five or six thirty plus guys that are all coming to the you know the end of their careers and a lot of big spots are going to be opening up and there's going to be a lot of shuffles guys like Carlos Sainz are going to be involved guys like Daniel Ricciardo guys like Max Verstappen who's going to be in the Ferraris who's going to be in the Mercedes there's a lot of places up for grabs over the next year or two so you're definitely right to sort of think next season down the line beyond 2017 for sure it's like you say, it could be Ricardo, but what if Ferrari lose Kimmy and then they start tapping up Ricardo and then Danny Rick's got a decision to make and then it just there's a lot going on, a lot going on there, you know? Certainly is, but the the um the the point would be that 
in a lot of ways, in it, it's more about if you kind of ignore Ferrari in it that Daniel leaving the next season solves kind of a lot of problems for them. Yeah, oh, it does. It absolutely does. Because solves... they need to find Gasly a seat or they need to drop him. It's one or two things. Do you know what I mean? Either he's, he, he gets a Toro Rosso seat or he doesn't. Um, Daniel Kvyat has the, has the seat next season. So unless they drop him mid-season again, which I don't think they'll do, I think they'll give him the next season to see if he can recover himself. Um, but, they, you know, Gasly needs a seat. Sainz needs a proper drive. And um, they've... They've put so much into Max Verstappen. The only person that can go, the only person that can go is Daniel Ricciardo. And whether they look at it and go, for Red Bull, the brand, it's better that we allow him to go and keep our young drivers in. Or they start saying goodbye to young talent. In which case, then Carlos Sainz starts to become a possibility. So that's the way I look at it. You look at Twitter. Yeah. You look yeah, at 2018 uh, and go, yeah, yeah. Red Bull have the problem of too many drivers and not enough seats in the same way that Absolutely, kind of McLaren yeah. have, have done over the last couple of seasons. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they lost um, Perez and Magnussen because they went, well, these are the people that we need to fill the seats. We haven't got anything for you to do. And, you know, we, yeah. we can't ask you to stay and be reserve drivers for the rest of your, your careers. Um, so whether they get to the point where they have to say, okay, Carlos, that, that's fair enough, but we've got Max and Daniel for the next... Five these years. F1 teams, these F1 teams that spend so much on their young driver academy, and you can obviously understand why they do it. But there's only ever going to be two spots available, and you know they've got three or four guys all coming through at a similar time. Like Red Bull bringing in a new Toro Rosso driver every two seasons, that's all well and good. When you finally stumble upon two good ones like they've done now in Max and Danny, you're going to want them in your A team for five to ten years. They want their whole career, they're primed to be with you. So then, what's the point in having three or four other guys coming through behind them? You're not, you know, it, 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 it's obviously great that they're developing young drivers, but like, as you say with McLaren, we've, we've ended up with, you know, too many drivers, not enough seats, you know? It, I don't know. It's, it's, this time, sort of next year and, and even before then, you know, around the, 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 the summer break next season when it all starts to unfold what's going to happen the following year. It's going to be very, very interesting anyway. There's going to be so many different dynamics, not just at Mercedes, but at Ferrari and at McLaren as well with Fernando. I mean, imagine Fernando did go into the Mercedes next season. Then who goes into the McLaren? Do they bring Jensen back? <laughs> like, what happens Well, they, they probably would in that sense. Um, because he's still contracted to them. Yes, so. ne- next two years. So he's, yeah. he's there on that basis. That's the reason why he's there, isn't it? That's why he's he's hanging about on contract because he's you know they need to make sure that they've got somebody to cover Fernando for, for next year and if Fernando does go then they want to have two seasons to work out what's going on now mm-hmm. the reason the other, I think the reason for two seasons is because they have Nick DeVries doing very good things in GP3 um, he's getting mega praise as being out of this world fast okay so they have some you know they have a guy who's probably two seasons away from being close enough to really get into F1. So I don't think McLaren are out of options slightly further down the line, but they needed Jensen, I think, just to be around just to cover them should the worst eventuality happen. So ironically, of all the teams, I think McLaren have got the best situation that they've got a guy with potential sort of waiting in the wings and enough people to cover their seats for now. Uh, with with also another amazing driver coming into 
you know, an, an amazing sort of younger driver because obviously Stoffel at this point at 24 now seems like some ancient veteran compared to half of the new starters in, in Formula true. One. Tell you what, though, Nico hasn't half uh, he hasn't half shooken things up with this announcement. That's for sure. It's, there's us thinking we're going to go off into the winter with not much to talk about for a couple of months, and then this man, what on earth? Like I said at the start of the piece here, we'd, I've never been more gobsmacked in sport for a long time than I was today. But at least it's interesting. Well, no, it certainly is that. Um, actually, w- one last one I'm going to chuck out there, um, just because Felix Rosenquist, who drives in Formula E at the moment, has been through lots of different formula and has done very well in all of them. Picked up um, his first pole position in his first season, in his second race, I think, for in Formula E, looking very handy, looking like a fast young driver with a bright future ahead of him. Wonder if we start to see the first person plundered from Formula E for a Formula One team. Just a thought. Well, he's um, he's he drives for Mercedes, doesn't he? So, uh, yeah, and Formula E. Oh no, he, he, he drives, drives for the Hindra. No, yeah, he drives for um, Mercedes and um, DTM. DTM. Sorry, not Formula E. Uh, so, yeah, you know, he's on he's on the books. You know, that's, that way, it's so. just that's that's yeah. my you know your outside dark horse of. Um, Somebody outside of the F one sphere who this is going might... to sound harsh to Verline, but I would almost rather someone like Rosenquist yeah, than Verline. I must admit, just because at least it's interesting. You know, it's someone brand new. Yeah, you know, whereas Verline's just a bit like, uh, okay, <laughs> don't know. <laughs> and I feel bad saying that because he's obviously got ability, but it doesn't excite me. No, Alonso would excite me. Yes, Vettel would excite me. Yes, someone Bottas would compl- excite me. Someone completely out of the sport like a Rosenquist would almost excite me because it's like, oh, here's an unknown quantity. What have we got here? Whereas, like, yeah, like, Fairline's a bit just like, okay, he's obviously quite good, but he's not going to put up to Lewis. The end. <laughs> the end, indeed. Um, well, the end, indeed, of the podcast. The of end the of the season. season. Yeah. Um, and a good one. Uh, yeah, it's. <laughs> In general, a good one, I think. That kind of weird season where you go, wow, that was a bit of a titanic battle in the end. But you can't quite put your finger on the bits of the the actual racing that were really all that great. We had a few bits and pieces. You know, Max here and there. uh, Kvyat at the start of the seasons had some good racing. Um, We've seen some good midfield battles at some of the races as well. It's been been quite interesting. Um, with, With, you know, now that McLaren have kind of been able to get back in and and been up and down the field occasionally. That's kind of spiced things up here and there. But it's it's been really patchy. That's that's what I think I'll take from this season. That a bit like the title lead, isn't it, really? You know, it, it was mm-hmm. patchy between who was the, the best driver at, at any one point in the season. You know, it started off being Nico, and then it swung back to Lewis, and then it swung back to Nico. And, you know, then it went up and down a bit and then went back to Lewis for the you know these last few races. It's just been... It's been a hard-to-quantify season, but we shall do it all in our season review episode, <laughs> which I will now have to go away and organise people to actually turn up and be on this show. Um, I think this year, he says, I don't have any wood to touch, but I think we might try and go for a live one this year. Um, okay. We've done it remotely previous previous years, but we've got pre-recorded dances, which... Um, it's actually a lot less fun for me to do because I have to edit them all together afterwards and make it sound like we're all talking live. Um, and I think we might try and get some 
get some live guests on. There's a few people out there, if you're listening, um, who I have tapped up to appear on the show. So hopefully, if you are listening, keep an eye on your uh, Twitter inboxes, or if I've got you on Skype for Skype, we should be talking soon about getting you onto the show to review 2016 from start to finish. Um, but that takes us to the end of this show uh, the last race review of the season um, I'd really like to thank everybody who has stuck with us through this season I think we've been we, we, did we only do one double header this season did we do Mexico USA was the only time I think we did two episodes in one go that's pretty amazing for us I think <laughs> pat on the back sorry yeah. <laughs> um, so yes thank you very much for, for being with us we've really enjoyed We well we always really enjoy putting out the, the podcast and we hope that if you're listening and you subscribe to us on on iTunes or, or TuneIn or Stitcher or uh, you know on the RSS feed of the website um, that, that you enjoy what we do you enjoy listening to us to gabble on about Formula One agree or disagree with us not a problem you know we we, we are a fan based opinion based podcast we don't claim to be experts we only claim to love Formula One and love talking about it so um, hopefully you guys feel the same and that uh, next season for 2017 you will continue listening to us talk about Formula 1 uh, as always find us at www.lastlappodcast.co.uk for all the latest episodes and uh, blog pieces we should be trying to do a bit few more of them in fact I'm writing one up right now um, find us uh, on Twitter at lastlappodcast uh, on Twitter we've done loads of stuff today uh, loads of good stuff chatting with people that we know in Formula 1 so keep keep an ear out for us there Facebook as well search for The Last Lap Podcast we are on there as well you can like the page and see what stuff we bung up there uh, but that is all for 2016 review wise keep an ear out for the season review in the next couple of weeks um, and we shall see you then thanks very much for listening and goodbye bye bye